0: Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl. my no Haramai Kia ora. And welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inika. Brought to you from our home studios. Kia ora Inika. Kia Allison, I'm actually not in home today. I'm in the Central Library meeting rooms. <laughs> That's right. How, yes, I knew that because I can actually see where you are. Well, I'm in my home studio, <laughs> but I can see you. And now you're quite near the um, the town hall, aren't you?
1: I am, yes. So it's worth mentioning that I can see the the town hall pretty closely from here. So if you do hear any bonging bells and clock towers halfway through our recording, you'll know why. And I do apologise in advance.
0: I think it's absolutely fine. And I think it places us in Auckland. So bring it on, I reckon. Now, um, we've gone up market this week. Uh, we've both got new microphones. So here's hoping for an enhanced listening experience for, for those of you with ears on our show. Better living, everyone. Yeah, you want to be able to hear those bells well. <laughs> That's right. I know. Trust us to have brand new microphones on the day that the town hall oh, goes off. Hey, look, I'll get started. Um, I've just read a, a, another great, um, Scandinavian noir book and you know how much I love those. Oh, yeah. So, um, now this one is called The Darkness by an author called Ragnar and Sorry about that. I just sort of um, couldn't see past my microphone when I was <laughs> reading. <laughs> um, and it's been translated from the Icelandic by Victoria Crib. Now, this one was published in 2018, so it's a little bit older than... Um, some of his newer stuff. But um, this is because it's the first book in his Hidden Iceland series. Now, um, what's been unusual about this particular Nordic Noir series is that it's a story that's told in reverse. So, in book one, our main character, Hilda, her man's daughter of the Reykjavik police, um, she's a detective inspector about to take mandatory retirement. Now, she's 64 and widowed, and she's dreading what her life will look like without work to keep her sadness and loneliness at bay. Now, you see, Hilda um, has a complicated past, like most fictional detectives. <laughs> now, with only two weeks to go until she needs to clear a desk for the last time, Hilda's boss, Magnus, who is someone who's been promoted way above his skill level and he's actually part of the like of the Old Boys Network, yeah. um, Magnus assigns her a cold case to investigate and it soon becomes apparent that Magnus isn't particularly interested in the outcome of this Ford uh, cold case. (laughs) He just wants Hulda out of his hair for her final fortnight. Now, the cold case is the unexplained death of a young Russian woman called Elena, who had been an asylum seeker when her body was found in a remote inlet outside of Reykjavik. And this had happened more than a year earlier. Now, at the time, the investigating officers had decided that this must have been a suicide and the case was shelved pretty quickly. There was really just a lack of interest in the whole thing. Mm. And Hilda had always been suspicious that the initial investigation had been rushed. And she soon discovers that it was a... Uh, You know, real second or third rate investigation. And the most basic of leads were never even followed. Mm. So soon Hilda discovers that another young woman asylum seeker called Katia had vanished at the same time as Eleanor and that no one had actually put the two stories together. So she begins to wonder if the powers that be in the police force and legal fraternity are, are actually hiding something. And her colleagues in the police seem determined to put the brakes on her investigation. But Hilda won't be stopped and she's determined to find justice for these two young women. Now, this is um, a real atmospheric thriller. Um, The Icelandic landscape, it's a terrific backdrop to the story. Um, The action takes place in a number of places. So you've got the gritty urban cityscape of Reykjavik, Mm -hmm. the frozen Icelandic highlands, and isolated and freezing fjords. They're just, and all of these places are beautiful and deadly. Um, It's a, pacey storyline and there's some huge surprises that'll hit you like a, an avalanche um, <laughs> just when you least expect it. I found this a, a quick read but um, a real a great addition to the the growing Scandi catalogue and now the author um, Ragnar Jonasson is a lawyer and a law lecturer and writer and he's based in Reykjavik. He sounds like a, a real high achiever actually. I'm <laughs> um, Really looking forward to reading books two and three in the Hidden Iceland series. Um, it's funny that some readers have, have said, Oh, it's going in the wrong direction. But I'm, I'm open to the fact that the storyline is go- going to go backwards chronologically. So anyway, that one was called The Darkness and highly
1: recommended. Oh, wonderful. Well, my next read is also a crime um, novel, uh, Alison, and it's very twisty as well. And I wonder if um, regular readers of crime will be into this one. It's called The Woman in the Library by Sulari Gentil, and it was published in 2022. So nice and new. And it's available in adult fiction. It's in our Libby and OverDrive collection as an ebook, and it's also available on audiobook on CD as well. Sorry, CD, not CD. <laughs> um, now, as I say, this is a twisty murder mystery with a metafiction twist that I think you will particularly love, Alison. Um, it's set in contemporary um, Boston, and our scene opens with a scream ringing out in a library. No, no one wants to you. hear that. No. Oh. And later on, a body is discovered. Now, four young people are in the library at the time. Uh, Winifred or Freddie, who's an Australian woman on a writing scholarship. Um, there's published author Kane, uh, a psych student called Marjorie, and a reluctant law student called Wit. Now, they're all strangers sitting across from each other at the same table in the reading room of the Boston Central Library, a very historic building. Now, they're all named as suspects in the case, even though they were all sitting together, so they're all also each other's alibis. Now, they're drawn together, even though they're strangers, and they quickly form this very tight friendship with this shared purpose of finding out who actually done it. Now, what they don't know is that one of them is a murderer. But which one, (laughs) Alison, is it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now, for the first twisty bit... So, Hannah Tagoni is a best selling Australian crime novelist, and the setup that I've just described is actually the plot of her latest work in progress. Mm. So as you read the book and as she finishes writing her chapters in her first draft, she emails them off to her friend, a fellow writer who's looking for a book deal, and her beta reader, Leo. Now, Leo is based in Boston. So um, as he receives the chapters of the books, um, you get to read the chapter of the book and then you get to read Leo's response to it back in email form back to Hannah, the writer. Um, So Leo comes back to her with sort of local tips and field research because he's in Boston and she's stuck in Australia during the pandemic. Um, And this is to help her with this setting. And Leo's also giving her these sort of increasingly invested comments and suggestions on where he thinks the plot and the characters should end up next. Mm. That's pretty fascinating. Mm. Um, So not something um, that I've read before. Um, Now, a little note, in case you're worried that I've given you the biggest spoiler in the book, this is just (laughs) the very first twist and it's revealed very early on. So right in the first chapter, you find out that this is what's going on. There's heaps of twists to be revealed along the way. So stay tuned. I'm not going to give those away, of course. (laughs) Now, I loved um, the author's device of this book within a book. And I should say it's within another book because I don't think I mentioned that Hannah's main character Freddie is also writing a book at the time that she meets these four characters and she incorporates fictionalized versions of these new friends into her own plot. Now, don't worry, it's not as confusing on the page as I'm making it sound here. Um, as a literary nerd, I was very into this part. Um, I must admit I did have to suspend my disbelief at the speed at which these four strangers in the book become so quickly enmeshed in each other's lives, although I'm not sure because I'm a bit of a you know crime and mystery nerd maybe that's a trope that i I didn't pick up on, not something it might be yeah yeah, that everyone's kind of like best friends straight away. Anyway, underneath all the twistiness of this plot and the structure, there's also some really interesting conversations going on around the role of the reader and the writer um, and that space in between where the stories and characters form in different ways in the writer's mind and then in each of the reader's minds. And now Leo's comments are, of course, just one reader looking over the shoulder of a writer. Uh, of course, we all put our own selves into every story we read and we take something different away from it. And there's also this interesting conversation in the comments that come up around, um, yeah, where you start thinking about um, the world that we live in now, where the literary world's kind of reckoning with readers who are discussing books and authors and decisions that are being made in those books in real time uh, after they've been published. So how is that shaping the decisions of writers as they are writing their, their drafts and they doing the edits? It's really interesting. So that's that's not heavy handed in the book, but it did make me think a lot. As I was as I was working my way through it. Now, Solari Dento is an Australian author born in Sri Lanka, and this is the first book of hers I've read. Um, but she's best known for her award-winning historical mystery series uh, starring Roland Sinclair, and this one is set in 1930s Australia. Now, Roland is an artist in the black sheep of the influential Sinclair family. He's got a talent for scandal and he and his friends find himself in the wrong place at the wrong time frequently playing amateur detectives, a bit like um, our amateur detectives in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this sounded like a series that I'd be, you know, quite keen to get into as well. So apparently there's 10 or 10 or 11 books in that series. So the Roland Sinclair series, if this sounds interesting to you. Now, um Solari Gentle's got previous form for this kind of metafiction or book within books. Her standalone novel, Crossing the Lines, also has two protagonists who are both writers and who write each other into their forthcoming crime novels. Now that one um won the Need Kelly Crime Fiction Award in twenty eighteen, which is the Australian version of our Nio Marsh um. New Zealand Crime Awards. So if you decide to get into the queue for the woman in the library, and I must warn you, it is quite long, although there's quite a few copies, um, you might want to go ahead and borrow Crossing the Lines while you wait for for the woman in the library.
0: Wow, that sounds so interesting. I, n- I know I will completely nerd out on it, so I'm going to get myself <laughs> really in, the, will. <laughs> in the queue. Wow. Oh, thanks for that. Well, look, um, I've just read one that's... Um, not really there's not a good way of segueing to the next one um we're going to move to canada for this for this one and um it's called fight night and it's by the writer Miriam taves and it um came out the end of last year so 2021 and as I say, this is a Canadian novel. It's a tragedy comedy about three generations of women living under one roof. Um, and it's been called um, by The Guardian, actually, called it an exuberant celebration of female resilience. So, um, by night. Um, it's told in the unforgettable voice of a young nine-year-old girl called Swiv. And um, she lives in um, an apartment in Toronto with her pregnant mother, who is is raising Swiv, while also caring for her own elderly, frail, yet extraordinarily lively mother, who's called Elvira. Mm. Um, and a big part of the book actually is the relationship between young Swiv and her grandma, Elvira. Mm. So when Swiv is expelled from school for fighting. Um, Elvira takes on the role of her teacher and gives her um, the task of writing to her absent father about life in the in their household during the last trimester of the mother's pregnancy. Mm. Um, and so in turn Swift who's quite a precocious young thing, she gives grandma her own assignment and that is to write a letter to Gord um, and Gord is the unborn grandchild and Swith's soon-to-be either brother or sister. So, Grandma writes to the unborn child, Gord, and says, You're a small thing and you must learn to fight. <laughs> so, this is all about being brave and strong and scrappy. Uh, so, uh, that's the spoiler alert. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, now... Paul with um, you just, you do love her, um, as a reader. She finds her, her mother and, and grandma to be loud, embarrassing and messy. Um, the life's pretty chaotic actually, but the television's on all day and night. Grandma's, um, favourite show is called call the midwife um and uh so, so grandma watches a lot of british tv um mom and grandma they gab about sex and nakedness and and they drop pasta and and pills everywhere and they can't even rin- rinse the sink after um cleaning their teeth or or gargling um oil oh yuck um so <laughs> Swift says, Grandma's hard of hearing and Mum is hard of listening, so I have to yell all day long. <laughs> Love that line. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? And it, life's, as I said, it's chaotic, it's unconventional. Um, but Swift knows um, throughout all of this that she is loved. So that that's a good part of the book. <laughs> now through all the, the struggle and the sadness and the, the fighting and the um, sort of remembering of, of, of difficult times, you do get hope that emerges. Um, and you might even find that you t- get a bit teary towards the end of the book. I, I certainly did. Now, it's a shortest book. Um, it's only 250 pages, but there's a lot in it. And um, it really does pack quite a punch. Um, and I sort of, I was going to say no pun intended, but I did kind of make that pun. Um, <laughs> because I, I had, I found when I was reading it, I had that song, um, which you, you'd probably know, um, Fight Song by Rachel Platton. You know, that came out about eight years ago or something. Oh, I don't. I've missed that one, but I have to hit out. Yes. You're probably way too young. But anyway, I found that it was um, running through my head as, a, as I read the, the book. This is my fight song, you know. Um, oh, hang on, that's it, sounding familiar now. Yeah, might, Yeah, that was just bad singing. I was just playing <laughs> the microphone. Um, but look, I, I really did enjoy this. It's the author's eighth novel um but i i must say it probably won't be everyone's cup of tea it's it's possibly too real too messy and grimy for for some readers you kind of need your hand sanitizer um at the ready when you when you're reading it but look (laughs) give it a go you might just be surprised at how much you enjoy it she is she's a very very good good writer um critically acclaimed and also look the cover art is
1: is great you'll love that Mm. It sounds intriguing. I think I'll have to look at that one. I do like the sound of the, um, the young child and the grandmother's relationship. Yeah, I think you would like this one. Mm. Yeah. Well, my next one is one that I read a little while ago, Alison, but I wanted to to bring it up now. We've just, you know, finished Pride Month in the US. And so it's been on my mind, this book. So I thought I'd have a chat with you about it. It's called Last Night at the Telegraph Club um, by Melinda Lowe. And it was written in 2021. And it you'll find it in our teen fiction um, collection. So this is, this is for young adults, but um, I think a lot of adults will enjoy this one too. Now, this is a historical novel, um, as I say, written for a teen audience, and it's set in Chinatown in San Francisco in 1954. Now, here's the blurb for you. America in 1954 is not a safe place for two girls to fall in love, especially not in Chinatown. Red scare paranoia threatens everyone, including Chinese-Americans like Lily. With deportation looming over her father despite his citizenship, Lily and Cass risk everything to let their love see the light of day. Mm. Now, I think a very intriguing blurb, um, and it grabbed me straight away when I saw, um, mm. saw it. So Lily Hu, who is a 17-year-old Chinese-American girl, and she collects photographs of Catherine Hepburn, um, mm. of women mechanics and pilots. She loves reading sci-fi, and she dreams of going to the moon. Now, she's got an auntie who works in a rocket lab close to San Francisco, so she wants to be a, a commu- computer um, which, of course, in 1950s was basically a mathematician. Yes. <laughs> like her aunt. <laughs> but Lily's parents mainly wanted to fit in like her best friend Shirley as a respectable American girl. But Lily's got a little advert hidden in her diary, and this is for a show at somewhere called The Telegraph Club. Now, the advert features a male impersonator. Then she finds a pulpy paperback with two scantily clad women on the cover called Strange Season, and she's sort of reading it behind the shelves in her local shop. Now, these two items sort of light the spark of her exploring her own sexuality. And the two items also bring her closer to an acquaintance from school who she hasn't really got to know before called Kathleen, who's another girl who dreams of being a pilot and um, she's actually been to the Telegraph Club before. Now, Lily starts sneaking out of the house after bedtime to meet Kathleen at the Telegraph Club. And she's drawn into this new world. You know, it's warm and heady. It's close. And um, by all the energy of these queer women in the element, which is something she's never experienced before. She's usually the only Asian American in the room. But she soon realizes that this is still the one place where she feels like she really belongs Now, there's this really difficult intersection of culture, gender and sexuality for Lily, of course. Um, She's forced to live two lives, really, one in the light, which is, you know, at home and at school. And another happens at night behind the closed doors with Kath and all their friends from the club. She's left feeling, as she says, dislocated and dazed, never quite sure if the other half of her would stay off stage as directed. Mm. So you can imagine how this plays out later in the book. Mm. Now, Lies Made at the Telegraph Club is a really well-researched read with um, really good attention to detail. It really brings 1950s San Francisco to life. Um, I, in the afterword, um, afterward, um, author Melinda Lowe lets us know that although there's quite a lot written about the history of Chinese Americans and queer life in San Francisco, there's very little on the intersection of the two, on the historical experiences of queer Asian Americans. So this book really fills a fills gap. Um, it also does a great job of imagining what life must have been like for a young lesbian Chinese American at the time of McCarthyism and that red scare panic of the early to mid-50s. Um, there's this added threat of expulsion from the states for any kind of um subversive behaviour, particularly for Chinese immigrants who are suspected as supporting the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and this really goes in hand, that ultra-conservative anti-communist agenda goes hand in hand with Uh, discrimination against homosexuals Mm. yeah yeah, Mm. there's a subplot in the book which follows lily's parents own romance and experiences so you get this kind of first and second generation asian american experience as well and there's a quite a cool personal timeline that goes through the book as well which kind of shows you where you are um in the story and whether you're following the parents or Lily at this point. And it also puts in some key dates and um, around politics and laws and things like that. So it's really interesting to see as well. Um, so I found this, yeah, I found this a really absorbing read. Like I said, it's very well written and well researched enough for adult readers. And it's got a lot of heart, um, really beautiful relationship between the two leads, Kathleen and Lily. Um, and it's really punches above its weight in terms of young adult fiction. You know, you can't say that for all young adult fiction. Some no. of it doesn't really hit the mark or you find the historical is a little bit kind of subsumed by the romance. But this has a really good balance, um, feels very authentic. Um, I did read it a little while ago, as I say, but it's really stayed with me. And I always, um, like I always say, I think that's a really good measure of a book that, that will stand the test of time. That sure is. It sounds like a wonderful,
0: wonderful book. And I... To my shame, I haven't read it yet. So mm. that's also going, going on my list. Nice. Well, look, I've, um, been having a bit of fun with one that I've just finished. Look, I love this. Um, and this is not a, a, a terribly serious book, but sometimes you need these ones. Oh, well, definitely. Yeah. And it's called Sister to Sister History Repeats. And it's by, by the writer Olivia Hayfield, um, published last year, 2021, and it's available in all the formats, hard copy, ebook, you name it. We've got awesome. it. Awesome. Now, and this is the, the second book in Olivia Hayfield's Tudor series. And the first one, um, some people will, um, remember her first was called Wife After Wife, and it was published in 2020. Now, um, both books are modern day retellings of the historical events surrounding Henry VIII and his six wives, um, his daughters Elizabeth I and, and Mary I, and his son Edward the and then other characters, both heroes and villains and all the in-betweens from that Tudor era. era. Mm. Now, Olivia Hayfield is the pen name of Sue Copsey, uh, a British writer originally who's made her home here in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. So now, um, following on from the the story that was told in Wife After Wife um, and the scandalous revelations about his love life, our media mogul, Harry Rose, who's based on Henry VIII, is searching for redemption. And he's doing this on a super yacht in the South Pacific, That's as nice. you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if, if only could get the chance. Oh. Now, his daughters have taken over the helm at Rose Media Corp, and this is back in London. But um, while his youngest daughter, Eliza, who's who's based on Elizabeth I, um, while she's involved with some events... At Oxford University, her older half sister Maria, who's who's based on Mary the First or Bloody Mary, as they they used to call her, um, Maria embarks on a drive to rid the the British media giant of sleaze because mm-hmm. under Harry's um, reign, um, it's just been one big party of sleaze <laughs> from <laughs> go to woes. So now, um. So Maria's on her, you know, um, anti sleaze campaign. Maria's deeply conservative and she lives in a, a moral and religious straitjacket and, and she's got no connection to people. So all she ever does is alienate them. And people call Maria the flamethrower, <laughs> which I think is, that's quite a good, a good, um, description. Now, um, Eliza, uh, In contrast, she's the epitome of, um, a young, modern, carefree woman. Um, and you really, really like Eliza when you're reading this. So now Eliza has these wildly gifted friends, Will Bardington and Kit Marley, who of course are are based on Shakespeare and and Marlowe. Um, now Will and Kit are, they're enfants terribles of, um, the arts world. And they're, they're basically planning to set this world on fire with their, the fabulousness so um with so eliza teams up with will and kit and she plans um a new golden age of british tv drama um but there's she does have the distraction of her childhood playmate, the sparkly and gorgeous metrosexual Rob Studley. And Studley is based on the Earl of, of Leicester, Robert Dudley, and he is quite enamoured of himself. So um guided by her father Harry, Eliza navigates life as Rose Corp's new queen. But after She makes this magnificent start. Things take quite a dark turn. And ultimately, Eliza is going to have to make a choice. Is it career or love? Um, Now, the book... I, have just really enjoyed it. It's full of very clever and witty quips and one-liners. It's a, you know, it's a glorious and hilarious romp through rich people's playgrounds. And we see, we do see a lot of rich people behaving badly. (laughs) I really loved the character Eliza. She's a young woman, very comfortable in her own skin. And she's never really had a, a proper boyfriend or a girlfriend for that matter, but she's really okay with that. She's, I sort of thought of her like the poster child of the consent movement. That is, you know, what they say, if it's not hell, yeah, then it's yeah, nah, nah. (laughs) Um, And although she's interested in plenty of people and she goes on dates and plenty of people are interested in her, she's all the time like, yeah, nah, no thanks, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Uh-huh. Um, and she's very wise. Um, I love um, a quote from uh, that Eliza makes about the magazine industry, which is basically her own industry and um, a lot of Rose Corp's magazines. She says, Women magazines thrive on our insecurity. Ten pages of ads featuring stick-thin women photoshopped to look even thinner, followed by how to smooth your curly hair, curl your straight hair, cover your blemishes, iron out your wrinkles, an article on celebrity weight loss secrets. Oh, oh, and their cancer scares and finishing with five decadent chocolate recipes you won't be able to resist. Why should readers feel bad about themselves? <laughs> so it's, it's full of this. It's a, as I say, it's, it's a delightful romp. Um, you'll laugh. You probably won't cry too much, but it's great entertainment and a lovely, wonderful retelling. Of history. Um, I found I didn't have to worry about getting all my Marys mixed up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great place to end the show, Alison.
0: Yeah, look, I think it is. It is too. Um, we will be back soon. Um, hopefully, you'll hear from us in another week or so. So, in the meantime, Happy reading. Haere ra kakite anō. This program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at Auckland and catch the program next Sunday at 9 35 pm on 104.6 FM or
1: anytime online at slash books and beyond.